You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ Team Leader, former Indoc Instructor Supervisor, Entrepreneur, and Physician Assistant Student, Brian Silva. What's happening, everybody? Brian Silva for the Ones Ready Podcast. Today, I'm super pumped. We have a very special guest with us in the team room. He's going to be doing some story time with you guys, talking about a huge year that he had. And it, honestly, like you couldn't make this stuff up that, that happened to him. And I'm really um, just glad to have him on the, the show today to share with you guys his experience. So his name is Tech Sergeant Kenneth O'Brien. He's currently stationed over, stationed over in Kadena. We're going to get into this whole laundry list of all the things that's happened to him over the past year or year and a half and uh, just where it led to and kind of uh, things that inspired him and things that helped him get through these obstacles that he eventually overcame. So if you don't mind, uh, OB, go ahead and introduce yourself and let the people know a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, uh, Kenny, you guys can just call me OB, um, pararescueman in Kadena. I've uh, been in for a little over 12 years and uh, I'm really excited to kind of talk to you about some of the opportunities you may have if you uh, decide to go down this route. Definitely. You know, same mindset. And also we have Aaron, of course, right here on the team. We want to do like a little cross PJ talk about the stuff that's happened because like I said, it's some really awesome things that he's doing. OB in the house. Again, I appreciate you coming on and helping the guys out. We're all that same mindset, making sure these guys that are listening right now are prepared as possible to go into the pipeline. And, you know, today we're going to give them a glimpse of some of the things that they're going to face. And, you know, a lot of things you can't really plan it out and you can't um, just forecast these kinds of events that are going to happen. So um, we know you had a big year, but I always want to start with kind of the baseline of a person's thought process and go back to the beginning, um, kind of why you wanted to be a PJ and what it means to you kind of today to be a PJ. Yeah. So, um, first off, most of my family is in the air force or was in the air force. Uh, my dad just retired a couple of years ago. Uh, my mom's retired, my sister's in. So it's always been kind of part of our life to be in the military. Um, then as a kid, I was kind of more leaning towards, you know, we always heard about Navy SEALs. And uh, so I was looking at that. And uh, I remember talking to my dad and I was like, hey, this seems really cool, but, you know, I prefer to, you know, save people. Like he was a firefighter and EMT, so I kind of like that side. And uh, he's like, well, have you ever heard of pararescue? And I think at this time I was probably like 12. And so, of course, I had no idea. And he hands me this brochure with this super jacked combat controller on it and all the schools and some other pictures and all the gear. And uh, I was hooked um, from then on out. And um, so I just kind of focused on that. Um, Considered, you know, possibly I learned about, you know, combat rescue officer, considered that route, but I I really like the, to be the guy that's actually doing the job. And so I just focused on that and um, really wanted to save people. And it, I didn't really have the words at the time, um, but someone else said it a few years later where you want, you want to ensure that someone's worst day is not their last day. And I just really like that. And it's kind of kept me motivated. Um, so right after high school, I signed up and then, and then left in 2007, uh, kind of around close to the same time you guys did, I think, uh, maybe a few years apart, but, uh, went right into the pipeline and, Got to Moody and I was only 20 years old, just ready to see what my life was going to do. Man, that's that's crazy. Are you the only one in the family that went uh, special operations out of the, out of everybody? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my dad had a bunch of different jobs. He's a crew chief, uh, age mechanic, uh, logistics planner. Uh, my sister went Intel, and then my my mom was also a maintainer. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Dang, so I awesome. think my dad had said he'd heard of pararescue when he came in, um, but he didn't really he didn't really know what it was. And so he never really went down that route, but yeah, he's a little beast. So he probably would have done well if he would have <laughs> done it. You ever, you ever talk crap to him? You ever get, get a jab in at the old man and be like, Hey man, 
should have went every once in a while yeah <laughs> you should have done it look at all this cool should've stuff i get to do <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's I'll, actually... I'll kind of stand next to him with his blues because he's got quite the ribbon rack and mm-hmm. but i'm catching up pretty quick and i'll just be like man i don't think you had this many you know, when you're my age that's kind of weird <laughs> you're this many years do you have these badges do you have these hey, badges no hey dad can you can you help all of these advanced qualifications does this jump master badge <laughs> does it look even to you it's supposed to be even so should i wear just, three or four out should I today wear four? Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He gets me though because as far as Air Force things go, I am struggling, and he calls me out <laughs> all the time. Uh, well, that's just kind of the PJ way. I mean, we don't really do you know those regulations as well as some of the other people out there. But yeah, perfect. it's all good. But it is kind of funny though that most people don't really know much about pro rescue. They've maybe heard the word, but they've most people have never met anybody that's in the career field or, or combat control, and they don't really know what they do. They just know like they wear a different hat and they're off in their own little world. So that is kind of funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, I think I knew one guy that tried and. I'd never really heard of it. And back then, I mean, there was, I think there was Rescue Warriors was a show on like yeah. Nat Geo yeah, or something, way, but that was, that was about the, the extent. Yeah. You know, we didn't, you didn't have YouTube and all these other things out there. So that was yeah. the first one out. That was the OG combat rescue inside combat rescue. Yeah, that was, uh, hopefully we'll get one of those dudes that was on the show here and that's now a crow. Rescue. <laughs> For the Rescue Warriors show. Yeah, y- you guys can, uh, in the comments, Figure, drop down who you think that's going to be, but may, there is a person that we have in mind. So. We can do a where are they now. Yeah, where are they now? He was uh, maybe one of my commanders. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually right. on the show, too, on the second one. That was pretty terrible. But. Oh, the oh, Inside man. Combat Rescue? I didn't know you were on no. that. You are I the was most on one that no one saw. <laughs> Dang. You're is the there... most famous person we've ever had. Are you in this next movie that's coming out now? The, uh, the, uh, the Pitts Barker movie? Measure? Yeah. Yeah, the Pittsburgh movie. No, I'm not in that. Um, um, someone did play me in a movie called The Cave, though, which we'll probably get into. Oh, oh snap! Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So the Cave Rescue—that is a huge thing that we talked about, and he was part of the Tide Cave Rescue. Uh, and we're gonna do that in a future episode because there's just so much that I was talking about with Ob and the timeline, and I want to make sure that we get um, all those lessons learned and the things that he wants to get out to you guys. All right, so got it. Want to be a PJ? Safe people. Obviously, it sounds cliche and everything, but, you know, you developed your mantra and your motto to live by. And I think that's kind of what everyone does after a while, because you don't really realize that all these, you know, words that you're reading or people say, because, you know, I got into quotes a little bit more when I became an instructor and started actually thinking about the things that I've done. But um, a lot of these words mean a lot more um, once you've experienced kind of the things that that we all have. So. Um, I think that's awesome. All right, so let's get into the the first thing. So saving a Korean from a tractor fire. So first, what were you guys doing in Korea and kind of develop the scenario here of what was going on? Yeah, so I honestly don't even remember what the exercise was called, but um, <laughs> the there was uh, some Green Berets, some ODAs that were uh, operating in South Korea working with the Korean Special Forces and they wanted a PJ and a controller on their team. Um, so we had myself and a controller with one ODA, another PJ controller with another ODA, and then a PJ controller with a Marine recon. And basically what we, what we were told is, hey, you're going to go out in the field for 10 days and do whatever the team does. And uh, so that was, that was really about it. And so um, we showed up, and um, we were out there. We patrolled um, to this area, and then we needed to move. And it was random. We did not have any plan to move at all that day. But we ended up having to move, and we're walking down the, the road. And uh, I'm in the back of probably a 100-man element, and I see some smoke in the distance. And I was like, that's weird. This is in the morning. And uh, then I hear yelling for a PJ. So now I'm running with my 90-pound ruck past 100 dudes and uh once i got there um some of the korean special forces were pulling a guy away from a tractor fire so myself and a a green beret went over and a controller grabbed him pulled him away from the fire kind of did an assessment on trying to figure out what's going on and then pulled him across the the street 
And miraculously, he was pretty decent. Like he was kind of beat up. Um, and then quickly I realized that he was pretty hammered. So <laughs> that, oh, showed, that showed oh. kind of what happened. So um, did he light it on little, fire or was it yeah, like just kind no, of? No, it was a, it was this old tractor and a trailer. And I'm assuming he was, you know, just having a great old time, flipped it, <laughs> it caught on fire and he was just laying next to it. And, um, <laughs> you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna figure this out as we talk to OB, but OB, you, you are either the luckiest or the unluckiest dude on the face of the planet. Like your year in 2019, like the yeah. fact that this tractor fire started with some, <laughs> some guy hammered on soju, getting his, tra <laughs> getting his tractor to catch on fire is just ridiculous. Like that, that had to be a surreal moment when you're sprinting past all these dudes, like, Holy cow, I wasn't even supposed to be doing this today. Yeah. It was a uh, very strange, but I like to say, you know, you have the term black cloud where bad things happen, mm -hmm. but usually they survive around me. So I'm more of a gray cloud. Because I have a buddy that he's okay. a straight black cloud. Oh, no. Oh, that's <laughs> but, worse. All right. I guess depending on how you look at it. But I was telling, talking to my wife about it. And I was like, well, if I was in that plane with that OB whenever this stuff was at, like, I wouldn't really want to be in that plane. Maybe this year because it sounds like things have kind of leveled out for you a little bit. But yeah. I don't know if I want to, you know, be through part of that story. But go on. Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't want to be around me right now. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I kind of, you know, assessed him, and he was good because, you know, he was probably more like a, a Gumby, you know, because he's hammered, so he didn't break anything, and we're more just trying to keep him, you know, awake. And uh, called an ambulance and just kind of had the ambulance come up. Um, they just kind of picked him up, which I thought was weird because he was in a crash rollover, but you know, it's their guy. So <laughs> they, they picked him up and, and then he, they drove away and we kind of just looked at each other and we're like, well, nine more days in the field. And then we just <laughs> kind of went about it. Um, All right, didn't think boys, anything solid big. start. Yeah. Didn't think anything of it and uh, ended up making like national Korean news um, and end up being like a big, uh, you know, U.S. Korean relations kind of thing. Wow! Yeah, it just kind of Did it kind of blew up from there. So you accidentally became the face of a nation. I guess you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> say that. But it, I did come back from the field and walked into a building and looked over, and I was on the TV, and I was like, "Oh, didn't realize that people were taking pictures of me while oh, I was man. feeding that dude." Oh, there were enough people to actually like take video of you on their phone of you pulling this dude out. Yeah, because there was the other hundred guys that were just kind of standing there. So, oh, yeah. what is that call like with your commander when you get back? Be like, hey, didn't you want to tell me about this? We're like, listen, man, we were out in the field for six hours. I was in the field for nine more days after that. I didn't have a chance yeah. to call. Yeah. <laughs> so that was interesting. Thanks. Yeah, so um, that was the first of my series of weird events of the year. So. Okay. Were you able to like have a conversation with that dude at all? I know like the Korean, the language barrier and all that stuff, or was nope. he just too, too hammered to. Yeah, he was pretty hammered and I'm assuming he was pretty confused um, because, you know, he crashes, probably doesn't know what's going on and then opens his eyes and there's a bunch of white dudes surrounding him, yelling at him, trying to figure out what's going on. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dang. That's all right. So that's the beginning of, you know, one of the stories that happened and that's day one. So obviously throughout the rest of the time, you're probably like, well, what the heck is going to happen? Cause you're going to be out in the field for another nine days. And you're just like, yeah. I don't know if I have enough equipment in this ruck to, uh, <laughs> take care of yeah, that to kind make, of situation. That, if, it, if it keeps going like this, I'm going to need a heavier ruck. ruck. Yeah. They actually, uh, brought in more equipment just cause they weren't sure if I used anything. And, um, I actually didn't because I didn't know if I'd get a resupply and he didn't have any like real bad damage. It was more just kind of scrapes and bruises. Um, but yeah. And I knew they'd cut it off as soon as they did, but, uh, yeah, they did bring me some stuff that like way. Somewhere, somewhere Timothy Wilkinson is very proud of you for not using any of your own <laughs> kit. <laughs> to <treat Exactly>. it. <laughs> Good job, man. Way to uphold the pararescue yep. name. Yeah. He was a speaker at my graduation. So. <laughs> Got it. Nice. Dude. Yeah. Nice. Dang. Upholding the standard right there. All right. So from the, the Korean whole thing that you had over there. Let's go ahead and move into some of the, one of the missions that I wanted to talk about that's not really well known and it's working with the secret service and the PJs have been doing this for a long time now. So you got to, got the chance to kind of 
work with the people at the White House and see how they do things. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what kind of led you into there, how long you're, you were there for and just what your experience were? Yeah. So um, going back to actually the Korean thing, it was weird. So while we were in the field, that was when um, Kim Jong-un kind of announced that he wanted to, um, you know, start playing nice a little bit more. So, you know, we, we joked that he knew we were in there in the woods in South Korea and he decided, you know, maybe, maybe this wasn't a good idea to keep doing this. So um, ended the Korean war. And then uh, a couple months later, basically they just um, the, there's a secret service and then a, a joint special operations team that, you know, helps with security when, whenever president Trump goes overseas um, so they requested a, a pararescuman and a combat controller. So I volunteered to be the PJ and then my buddy Clayton was the uh, combat controller. And then next thing you know, we're putting our bags on a pallet. I think we had a couple of days notice and we're flying to Singapore. Um, so flew to Singapore and um, just kind of got the lay of the land, figured out, you know, our routes, where we're pulling security at, kind of what was going to go on and um, our roles. And basically, um, I was there for the, the, the team. Um, I'm not necessarily there to, you know, jump in front of a bullet, you know, yeah. headed at the president or anything, but yeah. I was told specifically I'm there for the team. Um, I had, you know, extrication gear staged in all the vehicles. I had my med gear uh, coordinated with the, um, the 18 Delta medics. Um, looked at hospitals, made sure they, those were good, and then uh, got ready for when President Trump would arrive. And that's that's pretty crazy, man. So you just kind of you hop up on this team, and all of a sudden, like, what was your access like? Did you have any crazy run-ins with the staff? I mean, did you actually get to meet the president? Like, kind of those. You don't have to tell us anything. Uh, knowing you, you probably wowed him with a joke and also ended another <laughs> conflict. But uh, did uh, did you get? He to got talk a splinter to and you took it out of his finger or something. And <laughs> you were the only president one that could do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as Air Force One came in, we were there. You know, in these in these vans, and uh, so even that was pretty surreal. Like we're just sitting there as Air Force One comes in, and then we're in this convoy. And we're just hauling through Singapore. They had shut down the roads. And, um, you know, we had uh, police escorts that would um, cover the intersections. And there's thousands of people uh, on, the, on the roads. And uh, we had, you know, tinted windows, so they couldn't really see us. But if we slowed down, they could look through and they would see a bunch of dudes in full kit, rifles. <laughs> yeah, <Yikes. laughs> so that was a little scary for a few of them. They were just like, oh. Did not, oh. did not expect that. I got, the, I got the trunk full of goons. I didn't, I thought I was going to see the president. I see the goon squad lurking. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we would, you know, he would go to the, his hotel and we would pull security in the, the, um, hallways and the stairwells. And then if he went anywhere, we'd go with him. And we did get, actually get to meet him once he came in and took pictures with us, high fives. He told some jokes and, um, you, know, you that, have was, to, that was pretty crazy. You have to laugh at the president's jokes, right? Like, even if yeah. they're not funny, like, you have to laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were pretty funny. Um, but <laughs> one thing I didn't realize, though, is uh, he walks in and, you know, I'm average height. I'm like 5'10". This dude is tall. Like, he's big. I think he was about, I think, 6'3", at least. Um, and yeah, he came in and he definitely had a presence and uh, uh, he, it was pretty cool to get to meet him and kind of meet some of his staff, um, take pictures with him. And I think he was he was pretty excited to hang out with us. Did you have like front row seats? I just had to ask, like, because I remember watching it just on TV of them like shaking hands. And I was like, holy crap, you know, North Korea and America shaking hands. Did you have like front row access to just watch that moment and like take a selfie? Like, ah. no, <laughs> funny thing is actually um, armed military members is probably not the greatest thing to have on camera during that point. So, you yeah. know, we had to be in a different location and we're actually watching it unfold on TV just okay. like everyone else. But we just happened to, you know, be on a lot closer on the location. And then we'd also, uh, sometimes we're in the vans and we had TVs in there and we're watching, you know, the newscasters talk about what's happening, um, which was usually incorrect, but, uh, 
<laughs> you know, that was, that was kind of a cool to watch it happen while you're actually there. Was, Man, that is a, cool. that is awesome. I'm, I'm going to make a really bad pun here. So you're telling me the president's six, three, and you're not that tall. Would you say that Trump towers over you? Oh yeah, I guess you could. Yeah. That, that is bad, but uh, That's, no, it's terrible. It's the worst. I I, I do have a picture. I have a picture of myself, and I look like a little kid staring up <laughs> at him. And I always, I always show my wife. I'm like, you wish I looked at you the way I just looked at President Trump. The way that I just looked at President <laughs> Trump. That's amazing, man. That is a uh, that story. It's again, man. When we try to look at your 2019, like it is one thing that I just can't even explain it to somebody. I'm like, listen to this nonsense, uh, you know, from going with the president. Now let's, let's continue on. Like, there you are. You're going to come back to the States. You're leaving from home station. You're on a plane and the black cloud will call you the gray cloud. I suppose if you'd like, uh, the gray cloud kind of strikes again. And, and all of a sudden there's an emergency. Can you start walking us through, man, what, what was the emergency first of all? And then what actions did you take? Yeah, so um, the the thing in Korea, uh, President Trump, and then the, the the cave rescue, which we'll talk about another time, that all happened in 2018. Um, and then things kind of slowed down, at least as far as emergencies go. Um, and then we're looking at about a year later, um, I started, because of my 2018, I started winning awards. Um, right. So I was put in for squadron uh, non-commissioned officer of the year thought that was about the extent of it. Um, and then I wanted the group and I was like, Oh, Uh-oh. that's pretty cool. And then they're like, Hey, you're going to go up and you're going to compete at AFSOC and never, never thought that was going to happen. Um, never even really thought of awards past the squadron. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I heard about this thing called 12 outstanding airman of the year. And somehow I've gone my whole career and had never heard of this. And it's basically, they picked the, 12, you know, quote unquote, best airmen of the year, uh, one from each uh, MAGCOM. So I was representing uh, Air Force Special Operations Command. Um, so I started hearing about this and I'm like, well, obviously that's not going to happen. Like, right. That's, obviously. That's yeah, crazy. Exactly. No, no way. There's no way I touch this one. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that can't happen. <laughs> right. um, so then I went to AFSOC and I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Th- no, that it's going to stop there. And um <laughs> And then I come back and uh, about a week later, I'm receiving my medal for the, the cave rescue and the AFSOC uh, commander announces that, you know, I'm one of the 12 outstanding airmen of the year. And then, and then I was just like, Oh, my life's about to, <laughs> my life's about to change. Dude, what was that? Uh, what was that like in the moment, man? Like how surreal was that for you? Because I, I mean, I don't win like raffles at haircuttery places, let alone like awards for Valor and stuff. So <laughs> what did you kind of feel in that moment? Yeah. I mean, it was weird for me too. Like I've never outside of, you know, unit awards or medals for, you know, stuff I've done in Afghanistan or whatever. I've never won a quarterly award, let alone <laughs> 12 outstanding airmen of the year award. So I was just yeah. kind of like, Oh, okay. Like, Oh wow. This is, this this is, is getting real yeah. big. This is getting crazy, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So then, um, and no one in my leadership knew kind of what was going to happen. Um, a couple guys had known people had won before and they were like, yeah, they won. And then I didn't see him for a year. And I'm oh, just wow. like, oh, okay. Like, I don't think my unit can have me just disappear for a year. So we start kind of crisis action planning. Like, how are we going to deal with this? <laughs> um, and uh, so, we, yeah, we started figuring it out. A couple months go by and I'm actually flying back to the States for the ceremony uh, to, to receive the outstanding airmen. And I'm on a flight from Tokyo to uh, Dallas, I believe. So it's like a 12 hour flight and about three hours in uh, the lights are turned off. We're, you know, halfway across the Pacific and um, this lady starts screaming. And to this day, I don't know what language she was saying was not English. So okay. that. and so I'm just like, mm, and my wife kind of hits me and I look forward and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And strangely, this is not the first time I've treated someone on a plane either, but, uh, I'm like, okay, obviously something's going on. And then I realized she's holding a baby and I was like, okay, this is bad. So I start to get up and this other guy, uh, gets up before me and gets over there 
and he grabs a child. And then I realize that the child is unconscious. And so he starts doing um, infant CPR, but it's not really working. And um, so everyone's screaming for a doctor. And I'm like, well, I'm a paramedic, you know, (laughs) and then then the next thing you know, I'm holding, you know, this unconscious baby. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, I um, flip the baby over and I start doing, you know, back thrusts. And I try to do uh, a finger sweep, you know, because babies usually, if they're unconscious, it's an airway issue. And the, the teeth are like locked down, not sure why. And so I'm like, well, keep doing back thrusts. And then I don't know how long this went on, but everyone's freaking out around me. And I put my finger back in and it went in. And I was like, oh, cool. At some point, this baby had gained consciousness again and I shoved my finger in its mouth and it bites, <laughs> oh, no. bites me so hard. <laughs> so, so Wait, how how big was this? How big how, are yeah. we talking here? When you say um, baby, like I'm thinking yeah, like it I'm has gums tiny. and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was like one. So it has enough teeth that it hurt my finger, but it's not, it doesn't have a full rack or anything. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so this baby bites me and <laughs> flip it over and I was like, baby's alive. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> problem, and problem so, solved. I got to go ice my finger. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it, you know, the baby was still kind of out of it. And so they, they brought a, uh, O2 over and I kind of did a blow by and then kind of hung out with the baby for a little bit until, until it started looking around. And, uh, then I just kind of was like, okay, handed it back to the mom. And I was like, I fixed it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, I get you a beverage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, ma'am, is there anything? Hi, I'm OB. I'm your PJ for the day. Is there anything else I could do for you? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, she goes and sits down, and everyone's kind of, you know, coming off that high, trying to figure out, you know, yeah, like what what's going to happen for the next, you know, nine <laughs> hours of this flight. And so I meet with the guy that had uh, got to the baby first. And he was a he was a nurse actually, and. Um, so we kind of talked about like, Hey, we can't just let this baby, you know, just do its own thing now. And so throughout the flight, you know, I could see, I could see the child and I would just kind of peek around or stand up and look and every once in a while he'd go over there and, um, made sure the, the staff knew where I was sitting. And, uh, and then, yeah, that was, that was really about it. They came and brought me a, a Sunday, but of course I'm lactose intolerant. So I had to give that to my (laughs) wife. (laughs) They brought you, they brought you ice cream. Like, thanks for saving this yeah. baby's life. Here, yeah. have some ice cream. Some Would you ice like cream, some sprinkles yeah. on that? Yeah. That's what, uh, yes. I think they. Well, I think they were going to give me. <laughs> yeah, I think they were going to give me credit, like towards a flight, like a Delta flight or something. But I don't know where that went. That should have been like weird, instant but. first class, at least. Dude, on the next flight <laughs> every or single like, upgrade. I'm like, yeah, right. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. People should have so, been buying you drinks and stuff. But yeah, well, that's, yeah. so that <laughs> so was that the flight just to receive your 12 outstanding airman of the year yeah. award. And then you got to, you know, get off the flight and you're like, you'll never believe what just happened. I just saved a baby too on my way to. Get yeah. This. So I kind of, I texted my, um, my crow and I was just like, Hey, so this is what happened. I kind of gave him the, you know, the who, what, when, where, why, and he passed it up. And then somehow within about, 12 to 18 hours it went from me all the way up to like general goldfein and oh, chief wow. master sergeant Wright of the air force awesome. <laughs> and uh so that exploded uh pretty quick <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh that's fantastic yeah. holy crap oh yeah. man all right so then once you do that you go to receive your 12 outstanding airman of the year award and that's you know got to be like an achievement awesome moment to be a part of but maybe by that time you're kind of like all right i'm just ready to go home and like chill now because well how many how many pjs have even won that are you the first pjob that won 12 outstanding uh no i'm not sure how many have um i'm pretty sure um i can't think of his name right now most decorated enlisted member ever um he's a pj who hackney hackney yeah Dwayne hackney i believe he was and I was saying, like, oh, okay. Like one so, of the first. So there's the world's most decorated <laughs> Air Force member that received, and then just barely under that is you. So it's him, and then you, him, and then, okay. Yeah. Got it. And okay. then, um, 
I'm really bad with names right now, but another PJ, he died in Jolly 5 1. He was a Patrick guy. Um, he Mikey. won a few. Bill Posh? I'm not sure. Posh. Yeah, Apparently, Mikey. I had no idea, but I was told that Bill Posh was also one a few few years oh, back. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Was, when I when I heard about the award and I, I like saw and read your story and stuff, I was I was really shocked. I, you know, obviously very proud and very appreciative for all the work that you did. But I, I at the time, I remember thinking to myself, man, I don't really remember another PJ um, even getting nominated or, or getting up there. So, in and of itself, I, you know, that's a that's a crazy thing for you to achieve. What what does it mean to you? Um, getting awarded the 12 outstanding airmen and, and does it, does it feel weird now or how do you feel about it? It's super weird. Um, it was weird getting it. It was weird finding out. It's weird being back at work. You know, people just give me a hard time all the time, but, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. there's one guy that every time I walk near his desk, he stands up at attention and <laughs> just kind of messes with me. It's um, so, it's so good to know that no matter what you achieve in your life, the team will always be there to knock you down a peg or two. Exactly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Anytime I mess something up or say something, they're like, that's oh, not over. very outstanding of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I would just say, you know, it's obviously a great, uh, honor to to do that and to receive that um it's not something i ever tried to get obviously i didn't even know what it was um, sure. but it's more i'm glad that our career field is being recognized that AFSOC's being recognized and that my unit like like yeah i was a part of all those things but that was you know my unit was also the the guys that did you know all those things like yeah i was at the cave rescue well so was a bunch of other dudes you know yeah i did the presidential thing but there was a combat controller right next to me the dude in korea there was another there was a combat controller right next to me and green berets right next to me so um i think it's more just i have that opportunity now to kind of show more people what we're capable of um things that we've done that most people have never heard of and and kind of uh show that to the air force and if i can get broader than that then obviously like i want to you know show that to other people Um, And then just kind of use this opportunity as best I can. So what do you get like, uh, as far as allowance, because you said most other people were gone for like a year and that kind of thing. Um, what are some of the ways that you're kind of planning on helping out the career field, like you're talking about and just kind of exposure? I know we got you on the podcast, which is awesome and everything. Um, are they going to allow you to fly over and help out debts and like talk to some of these, uh, younger people that are trying to join? Yeah. So it's kind of on me. I'm working it. Um, I've already, I went to the air force Academy and I talked to, um, basically they have a a club that's a bunch of cadets that want to be special tactics officers and, uh, combat rescue officers. So I've talked to them, I briefed them on the cave rescue and I, you know, kind of opened it up if anyone, any of them wanted to talk to me. Um, I'm going back there in February and, uh, there's a, um, it's a national character and leadership symposium. And I'll be speaking there on a board. And uh, then after that, I'm going to Orlando to another conference and we'll be speaking there. Um, but to me, it was like, yeah, that, I can hit some people and I can kind of share my story, but I don't know if that's really where I can be the most useful. So that's when, you know, I, I sought out you and I thought, you know, this this podcast is huge. So yeah, I think it's it's great for the community. So I wanted to kind of you know spread my word there and then i worked or i'm working with a special warfare recruiter in indiana and before the academy i'm going to go to indiana for a week and we plan on going to the uh, air force museum and speaking there and then i'm going to go to purdue university and speak there and then i'm going to go up to where i grew up near grissom air force base and i'm going to try to do some stuff there um, See, I, I knew it. All the best PJs are Big Ten. So Pitts and Barger, yeah. Chief yeah. Robbie Bean, Aaron Love, Big Ten. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I grew up uh, surrounded by cornfields in Indiana. So I want to go back there and kind of, you know, give back a little bit. Um, and then I have another big TDY in the summer to another conference uh, in Reno. And I want to try to do something similar where I meet up with someone and kind of help out the, the recruiting effort. I think that's where I can have the biggest effect at this point. So 
Holy cow. So if guys are part of that, like recruiting squad, and hopefully they're going to be announcing it and uh, like reaching out. Um, and I'll ask you here in a second, we'll throw on the end um, some way that they can kind of reach out to you and just figure out, because I'm sure guys want to meet up with you, especially if they're like in the depth right now and they're, you know, listening to this podcast, they're like, holy cow, that'd be awesome to meet, you know, OB. So we'll throw that out here at the end. So you guys uh, watch out for that. Uh, but I wanted to also talk about, you know, all this, all these things, and we're going to go into Tive Cave Rescue in a separate episode, but um, kind of what made you successful in all these things that happened? Because obviously none of it was planned. It was just like this life just unfolded before you. And like you said, there are a lot of people that were panicking, especially like you were talking about in the plane or um, from the fire. So what were some of the things that made you successful? Um, well, I'd say the first thing is I overall I've been successful, but that's because I've failed so many times. Um, you know, I didn't go to Indoc as many times as Aaron did, but I went twice. <laughs> no, uh, nobody did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had, you know, I had pretty bad stress fractures cause I wasn't taking care of my body and then you end up having to go through, uh, failed paramedic national registry. That was kind of a gut check. Um, you know, I tried out for, you know, our tier one unit and destroyed me, you know, like, so I've had these failures in my life. And, uh, so I've just kind of learned from those. Um, and then also like, I think one of the biggest things is I try to surround myself with people that are, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, smarter than me, um, because there's a bunch of them. And as soon as I'm the smartest guy in the room, like I'm not growing anymore. Or if I'm the strongest, I'm not growing anymore. Um, which isn't hard for me. Like there's always someone that's like way better at all those things than me. So it hasn't been a struggle, but, um, I think that's one of the biggest things that's helped me be successful and. I was, um, and a lot of things hasn't been planned. Like I was non-volved, like, so I was, I didn't volunteer, but I became an instructor at the uh, guardian angel formal training unit. And, um, I was sent there in the very beginning. So I was doing like logistics stuff for like a year and a half, completely out of my career field. I'm managing all kinds of weird stuff and not instructing. And that was very hard for me. But since I was surrounded by people that were growing, you know, helping me grow, that really helped me mature and kind of open up my aperture. And, um, I think it, it made me, you know, not accept mediocrity. Uh, cause when I was younger, I was more passive. I was more just kind of like, I got a beret sweet, you know, but yeah. I was, you know, I got that when I was 20, you know, I still got, I need to have some other goals probably, <laughs> you know, yeah. throughout my life. Keep on um, going, yeah. yeah. So I think that's been huge. And then, you know, my family. So, uh, they've always been big supporters of me uh, and kind of helped me, you know, push my limits uh, again and again. And then, you know, my, my wife, you know, my two kids, she's always been there. Like we started dating. I deployed immediately after and then came back for a month and then I deployed again, no notice. And then I came back for two and I deployed again, you know, like that was our first year and a half together. Yeah. So she, uh, she got a pretty good foundation of, you know, PJ life. And that's kind of, you know, helped, helped me be able to focus on my job. Like I don't, if I leave and I, you know, the cave rescue, for instance, you know, I'm told I'm leaving, you know, I leave a couple hours later and I don't have to worry about my home life. Cause it's, it's solid. Yeah. It's um, so huge. So, yeah. I think that that's definitely helped. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really the biggest thing is just yeah. surrounding myself with people that make me better so that I don't just stay stagnant. I think, you know, what you're talking about being an instructor, I kind of can feel you on that one because I, Aaron knows me from a long time ago. And if I had told him, you know, 10 years ago that I was going to be starting a podcast or I was going to be the how to be a PJ guy, putting myself out there, like my face all over the internet and then talking in front of a bunch of people, you know, that he would have said like, no way you like, I, I just never really wanted to be in front of a stage. I didn't want people to look at me. Like I just do my own thing and, you know, do my job. And that's kind of what I did. But being an instructor, I got that experience of like, you know, 
saying things to these students that kind of help them through their difficult times at um, Indoc and through selection. And I was like, well, this is, you know, the things that I believe. And I got used to like speaking and I got around these people that were super motivated the entire time, um, like you were saying. And it was just like, it brought another thing out of me that was like, like, oh, you know, that I need to be something better. Like you were saying, I got my beret. I can't just coast off of that for the rest of my life. You got to keep on improving. So I think that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's go into Indoc specifically because, again, I like to get everyone's perspective on selection. Hopefully these guys that are listening could take something away um, and take that specifically to selection. So you mentioned that you had a couple struggles at Indoc. Um, what was kind of the hardest thing for you when you were going through Indoc and um, what, what got you through that? Yeah, so I think the hardest thing as far as event-wise was buddy breathing. For some reason, just couldn't couldn't handle it. Um, I, you know, I could I could do underwaters all day. It wasn't an issue, but for some reason, buddy breathing freaked me out. Um, so was the, I just was had, it any particular instructor? <laughs> I, I mean, know. if, uh, if Maroney was around, I was swimming the other way. That's for sure. Um, oh. Everybody has that too. It's it's the weirdest thing, but everybody has that one instructor that just has it out for you. They see you doing dumb stuff all the time. Anytime you do anything dumb, I would turn around and Butler would be right behind me and he would just be shaking his head, like staring at me, disapproving. And by the way, world's nicest guy, really never had an issue, but every time I did something dumb, I turned around and it was him. Everybody has their instructor that just owns you in an event and you don't know why and you can't figure it out. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... Uh, this wasn't the first time I did body breathing, but it was pretty early on. And I think a recruiter had brought someone in to watch. And I'm pretty sure that's the reason that guy never tried to be a PJ because he saw me trying to do <laughs> body breathing and I was just, just getting out. destroyed. Just oh, around no. and walked out. Well, <laughs> and then, uh, uh, hey, everybody, this isn't for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it was a uh, Yoast. Uh, Sergeant yeah. Yost, yeah. Mm-hmm. he looks at me afterwards and he goes, that was the worst buddy breathing <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, that's fantastic. So uh, I ended up, obviously I got better, but I was not good. It was more just like, I have to do this. Like, I'm not going to let this one thing be the reason that I have to go get another job. So I would just suck it up for a few minutes of not being able to breathe and, and then, uh, you know, go on to the next event. Um, but I think a biggest thing, like obviously that event was terrible, but the day on day in, day out, like knowing I'm going to have to do this every single day Mm -hmm. over and over and over. And, um, everyone had different coping mechanisms. Like, you know, like I'm a spiritual guy. So I'm literally sitting there on the gunnel, you know, just like praying, like just rapid you know. fire praying, huh? <laughs> yeah. Just like strength, strength, strength. Give me strength. Don't yeah. let me be that dude that blows the horn. And, um, and then also, you know, just in my mind, it was like, okay, make it through this event. Or if it was an event that I was okay with, you know, it's like, okay, make it to lunch. All right. I just got to make it to lunch. All right. I'm at lunch. Sweet. All right. I need to make it to Finning. All right, cool. I'm in Finning. Cool. They're not messing with me. I can just fin, you know, like I had, yeah. I just had to have those little goals. Cause if I tried to, if I tried to take the whole day or the whole week. That was too much, man. Yeah. You, you can't focus on stuff like that. Like that was the same part that I had the the hardest part too. Like if somebody was like, Hey, what's the hardest part about Indoc for you? It was that monotony. It was knowing what was next, knowing it was coming and kind of having to deal with it. Um, kind of having to deal with it in that moment. So you come from a, a very unique position too, because of how young you were when you were going through the pipeline. So, you know, speaking from you know, that 17, 18 year old kind of you, if you go back, um, what would be the most important advice you could give to that 17 year old, that 18 year old candidate now that's trying to get into AFSPEC war? So, you know, I, I was, I've been trying to think of biggest advice and, you know, you can say, you know, make sure you come up with a training plan and all this stuff. But the biggest thing I kept thinking of was, especially at that age, you don't really know what you want a lot of times, or you, you have to, a lot of times you have so many options. Um, so you have not that backup plans are bad or anything, but you have so many options that you're like, well, that, that route seems like that might be better for me because it's easier. And, um, I have, we're talking about quotes. I do have a quote that at the time I didn't know about it, but now, um, it's in our gym 
And I see it all the time, especially when I don't want to do another set, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to call it. And I read this quote. Um, so if you guys don't mind, I'm going to read it because I think it's pertinent to what I think uh, the advice is. Um, so this is uh, Theodore Roosevelt in 1910 in uh, France. And it's called the man in the arena. I don't know if you guys have heard it before, but it says, uh, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles where their doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives violently, violent, or you know what word I'm trying to say, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither no victory nor defeat the the end is really what i want to get at is that like you don't want to be that guy that regrets it was like i almost tried or if things would have lined up better i would have done it and it's like no because you don't want to be that timid soul who doesn't know victory nor defeat so my biggest advice is if you're interested gather as much info as you can and then you just do it like hey if you fail who cares try again or do something else. But at least you can be like, I gave it all and it was either that was right for me or it wasn't. Um, otherwise you're just always going to wonder. And that goes past in doc. I mean, that's, that's the reason I tried out for the, uh, 24th STS. He was like, well, why not try and see yeah. if I like that life, you know? And I Absolutely. went and, you know, I made it through but I struggled and they were like, no, you're not ready for this. And I was like, cool, you know, but I tried it. And now I can say, you know what? I did it. Wasn't right for me. And it gave me the opportunity to come here, honestly. Um, so everything kind of happens for a reason, but I just, I would hate to be, you know, some of the guys that I know that either didn't try or the guys that, you know, one moment of weakness in the pool changed their whole life. And yeah. Like, Exactly. Change your entire course. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me that I used to read that quote to guys in Indoc, also the man in the arena. And I love just hearing that quote, you know, because just like you're talking about, I get messages and we get them on the ones ready, uh, Instagram and email all the time. Like, Hey, I'm 30 years old. You know, I've always dreamed of doing this. Um, do you think it's something that I could still pursue or do you think that I should just kind of, you know, take what I have right now, whatever job they're doing? Some of them are like doctors or whatever. They're doing something successful with their life, but they still have that in the back of their mind. And it's always going to be there if you don't at least go and try. Yeah. And even if you're 30, you're close to like the cutoff age, like go and do that because time's going to run out sooner or later. You're going to be, you know, 60 years old and you're like, man, you know, you're going to tell your grandkids like, I wish I would have done this thing or you know when i was younger i really wanted to but i never had the chance like we we have all the opportunities out there in the world and it is what you make of it so i think uh what you're talking about there just kind of hits home for me and it goes along with you know the my whole philosophy is the burn the boats thing right there you know whatever you you see in front of you go and conquer that thing obviously there are times when you have to have something else in the back of your mind that you might be able to do but you're going to put your full force hundred percent into this objective that you have in front of you, because that's what you want to do. And if you fall short, then you fall short, but at least you tried. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yep. You got anything else, Aaron, on, on that one? No, Obi, I just want to say thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story and, and being engaged. I know from personal experience, it's not an easy thing to do to put yourself out there. You're not looking or, or seeking reward or award for the things that you've done, but it does deserve to be said, man. Like, you not only had a great year, but from what it sounds like a great career, um, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to following your lead for the rest of the time. And I want to say thanks for coming on the podcast and sitting down and talking with Brian and I, I, I know it's time out of your day, but it is appreciated. So man, just for me to you, thanks. I appreciate you, Obi. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me. And yeah, it is, it's super weird to kind of talk about these things, especially when oh, for it's, sure. like, for it's sure. like, Hey, look at me, but that's oh, not yeah. really why I do it. It's, Hey, these are opportunities that you may have, like, I, I had no idea I'd be doing this kind of stuff. Um, and so it's more, I'm just trying to let people know and then also give recognition to the guys that were right next to me. So, yeah. And definitely, um, you had an amazing year, amazing stories. And thank you for sharing all this stuff. Like I said, uh, before, you know, that's, 
we don't think any of us think you're gloating and we really appreciate all the lessons learned that you're passing on to these guys. And we'll get into the cave rescue, which is a whole different scenario. Cause I was looking at, I was rewatching that documentary a couple nights ago and I was just like, Holy crap, this is some crazy stuff that went through. So I'm really excited to actually get into it and like, listen to how you guys ended up being able to maneuver it, especially not just the caves, but just the amount of people and all that stuff. If you guys haven't looked at it, go check out that, um, documentary. So you're up to speed before we start actually talking th about this stuff, because that's a, um, a good synopsis of the things that were going on. And you can kind of visualize it when we, we talk about it in the future. Um, but for now, um, is there any way that, uh, would you like guys to like reach out to us and then we can s send messages to you? Cause I know, like I was saying, guys that wanted to reach out in the depth or while you're traveling, try and like meet up with you and listen to some of the stuff you have to say at those, uh, events. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, reach out to you and then you can let me know. Um, I'm just, that's just me personally. I kind of want to keep my social medias at least semi-private, um, but I'm totally willing to talk and, and, and help guys. Um, okay. Maybe we'll have you on for a, a takeover where you can take our account over. Yeah. You can, uh, you can do it for a day or something, man. There's a ton of ways. Yeah. It. I mean, that would work. Um, and it's, it's funny the first person or anything, uh, someone comes talk to me and I'm like, Hey, look up one's ready and look up how to be PJ. So it just kind of goes around. Um, because I don't, I don't know the newest and greatest. And so I just always send them to you guys. Well, I appreciate that. And hopefully we have, uh, you know, tons more guests lined up and you on again, as many, as much as you want. Like, like I said, people that are like-minded that just want to help out the future of the career field. That's what we're, we're all about right here. So, um, really appreciate you coming on sharing those stories, um, and really putting yourself out there just to help out those guys that are entering. Um, hopefully you guys took at least 10 or 20 things away from this episode. Um, he's got a lot of good information to say, um, really take to heart all the things that he was talking about because we're doing this again, just to help you guys out. So picture this stuff in your mind, you know, as you're going through your day, um, these events that happened are just part of the life and there's nothing that you could have done really to plan for, except, you know, the training that he's done on his own, just preparing over the past dozen years that he's been a PJ and, um, you know, you take what you get and sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it gets real hot and you, you deal with the cards as you're dealt. So yeah, definitely. Thank you for coming on. And again, you guys reach out to us. We'll reach out to him if you guys have any questions for him. And we look forward to having you on that, uh, Thai cave rescue episode. I'm excited to hear about it. Awesome. Can't so, wait. So yeah. thanks again thanks, to you and Aaron for coming out here, spending your time. We'll see y'all next time. Make sure you go out there and earn, earn each breath. Later. Train hard, everybody. Light it.